Welcome to episode 156B. Today we learn about using AI as a tool to support instruction with MLs. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. My teachers at my school are already using ChatGPT. A teacher wanted to show students how a podcast interview might sound. She prompted ChatGPT to give her a text about the candy industry as a podcast interview format using statistics on how it contributes to the economy. We were shocked that it was able to produce a highly effective and convincing transcript about this very specific topic. It was then used as a model for students to choose if they were to use a podcast for their product. We are hearing a lot about ChatGPT and generative AI, but how can it be used to support MLs? We'll have Steven Taylor on the podcast today to learn about how AI can augment our work with MLs. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm so honored and excited to share with you Stephen Taylor from WAB International School. Um, Steve, ni hao, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's I'm the one who's honored. Your work is brilliant. <laughs> Can you briefly tell us about how you spend your days and where you spend your days to give listeners a context of where you are? Yeah. Yeah, so so I'm Stephen I'm from the UK originally, and this is my 20th year in international schools now, or over teaching overseas. Um, my job here at WEB is I'm the Director of Innovation in Learning and Teaching. And so my days are pretty variable between what we do. Um, my responsibilities include things like the accreditations that we do, the pathways that we're on. Over the last couple of years, a lot of work with students and strategic uh, leadership, strategic planning. Um, I work with the senior leadership team and the senior educational leadership teams. So that includes things like curriculum coordinators, um, working alongside the head of ed tech and IT. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on in terms of projects and development at the school. So, you know, another project at the moment is thinking about new science spaces. My background is in the sciences too. Um, so it keeps on coming. A lot of parent workshops and, and things like publication for parent information um, and kind of the the privilege, I think, which we all have in schools like this, of being able to play with new ideas and and think a lot about what might be the future, what's useful. Um, I do spend a lot of time kind of working on things and try as much as possible to get around the campus. Um, it's really joyful to be able to go in different school sections as much as possible. And some, some times of the year are much easier than others. Um, another really kind of joyful thing is working with the lead teacher groups or the learning leaders, we call them, in different school sections on different projects. So it could be our ideas lead teachers or sustainability lead teachers. Um, you know, even tomorrow, actually, after recording this, we're working on inclusion and language policies and thinking what they might look like. Um, so lots of really kind of interesting work to do here. Yeah. So leadership steering the way and creating the conditions for students and teachers. I think creating conditions is is hopefully a nice way to approach it. Yeah, in 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 this way. 
Can you share a story about teaching that has influenced your practice to this day? To this day, there's so many, right? Like I think um, my teaching, the first time I was really kind of thought about what it meant to be a teacher was when I was studying marine biology um, in, in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And I had a, a, a tutor there, John Burgess, who was such a patient person and really loved what he did and was i think he's always been a, a real influence on how i how i taught and how i approach things right that you can always kind of take a patient approach and you can see different things and help people make connections so his his um influence on me was pretty strong and then after i was doing that i ended up teaching english in indonesia and that was you know a, another teaching and learning experience where I was trying to learn a new language and teach my own at the same time. Um, and that was a lot of learner empathy in that time. And uh, so those kind of experiences of people wanting to interact and help and bring those kind of ideas together was really powerful to me. And then I think in, in recent years, some of the most powerful teaching and learning has come through kind of personalizing work with students um, and doing that in ways where we try to keep things connected. So I think things like creating cultures of thinking with Project Zero, like, the, you know, we were trained to teach in a certain way and then ideas like that really come through that are quite powerful where we can really make time for thinking and really make time for paying attention to students. And um, that kind of idea of the image of the child and what it is that we want to bring forward and what they want to bring forwards i think now as all of these ideas come together they're quite they're kind of like lingering experiences for me yeah well we're he here to have you talk about your almost viral presentation that has gone around in international <laughs> school uh, it was given to me by my head de uh, department head we were talking about chat gbt mm. which we can't use in cambodia but when i looked through your presentation i was yeah. like oh this is so good and i had to have you on the podcast to talk about how can we use chat gbt in particular to help to support multilinguals in their learning so yeah. can you please talk to us about um describe what chat gbt is for a very basic introductory level yeah so I, I think by now, probably everybody in the world's had a go at ChatGPT and, and um, yeah, that's quite the introduction. I'm flattered and embarrassed a little. But um, with the, the large language models like ChatGPT that have come through, that's really, I think that we'll see this as a turning point in education technology. Um, we were playing with ideas around AI tools in education for a while before. And these large language models, essentially they're trained on large sets of, of language data. And they use, the, the big innovation with them is this idea of natural language processing, where somebody can describe in English and, and actually now more and more other languages, what it is they want the system to do. And it will try to work out a response to please the user, right? And that whole thing takes this idea of prompting. And so, as we develop these new literacies around being able to use AI tools, really what we're thinking about is how do we describe clearly what it is we want? Um, how do we evaluate the outputs that we really need? And, and is it fit for our purpose? And so 
um, you know, you mentioned it's blocked with you. It's actually blocked here in China too. So the work that we focused on is tools other than ChatGPT itself. And in a way, that's a that's a blessing too, because it allows us to think about things that are really suitable for education rather than the, the one big one that everybody kind of gets um, excited about. And so, yeah, I mean, I put this together, the, the, the presentation that I think you can share later. And it's just ideas for how do we make these things work for more people than just the normal people that use these things. And my, my personal belief, there's a lot of, there's a lot that we have to understand about how they work. But in any kind of big technology, especially something like this, there's a lot of discussion to be had around equity, around inclusion, around fair access, around representation. And, you know, the big the big companies, they have their policies, the big organizations like UNESCO and so on, they have their policies and guidance. Um, and then we can try to use some of the tools to to reach our kids where they are, reach our learners or even our teachers where they are. And there's, yeah, there's a huge potential here for people to save themselves a lot of time as they're trying to do the right thing. And I think that's, that's a kind of principle for me is how do we make it easier to do better things? Yeah. So I think you have the teacher's attention here where you talked about, we're so busy. It's just trying to help us save more time yeah. to do the good work with the, we're doing with students. So I like how you said yeah. that. Maybe we should call this not chat GPT and call it uh, language models, AI language models instead. Um, well, can, then, can you tell us about uh, how can uh, AI language models support language acquisition? Hmm. So there's in, um, in when we're thinking about language learning, right? And I'm not a big expert on language learning. I was a, a language teacher for a bit. Um, I was a biology teacher for a long time, and that in itself is also a language course. I'm fascinated with how we support these multilingual learners in our schools. And we think about ideas like, you know, language equity and supporting all the kids in our class. The idea of maybe translanguaging too, like what is the language the students are thinking in to be able to meet the target language later. And actually, we can do a lot with these tools that we have. Um, in some ways, it's about making the input really comprehensible so can the students access the target content or the target concepts you know um, some of them can be used to help make it personalized so you know tools like perplexity which i really like you can you can put prompts in there and ask it to find examples of a phenomenon or an idea from the student's home country or the student's home context um, you know you could ask for say three physicists who come from Indonesia who are working towards the sustainable development goals. And you'd be able to start, start to find examples that you might not so easily be able to find with simple Google searches. Um, you know, other things you can do for comprehensible input. If you're well organized, you can have your vocab lists and have them ready to translate for students so that, you know, that pre-teaching the vocab idea um, can be done a bit more quickly and they're not they're not perfect you know so they need some adjustment but they get you to a good place much quicker than individual translations or having students using their dictionaries or trying to translate line by line and you think about i think about the idea of can they 
these tools be used to take away some of the administrivia? Like, what is it that's that's taking a lot of time? If you wanted to meet the needs of all the kids in your class, it would be impossible if you have 10 languages in the class to really spend the time that you want to spend with all the students, if it's all burned up by you having to do manual work um, just around documentation. So there's, a, there's an awful power with, there's a huge power with these to do a lot of the documentation and administrivia type work. And then on the other side too, there's also different ways you could use it for helping students with kind of active outputs um, and even to feedback as well. So yeah, I think there are a few really powerful tools that that I would kind of suggest people to try. Do you want to talk? Let's let's break up the conversation in this way. Let's talk about you introduced yeah. with us uh, comprehensible input with um, AI mm. language models. So let's go there. Can you give some examples of making uh, text more comprehensible, making a video more comprehensible yeah. for students using AI? Yeah. So like if you if you use a tool, so I know we, we have a lot of teachers using a tool here called Education Copilot, which is a it's a basic, it's a good tool actually. Um for it can help with lesson planning or context building. It can have it has a freestyle section where people can put sections in. So in the in the slides that I'll share with you there, there's lots of screenshots and prompting examples for how to do those things. Um, I mentioned before Perplexity, which I think is probably one of my favorite tools. So it's a Bing plus search tool. And it won't write, it, you know, it has concise and it has extended responses, but not to the length where it can write things uh, in terms of assignments. But it can have things like a follow-on conversation. It doesn't always need a login. It will provide sources within the text. So then you have the opportunity as well there for students to do some, like it will pick up to five sources where you could look at different um, sources and help students with their source selection. Um, you can paste pieces of text into these model, into these tools, or even URLs and give them an instruction to summarize something. So you could take maybe a lengthy article and have it summarized in bullet points. You could maybe even ask it to summarize those bullet points into the language that the student thinks in. Um, and so you think about those ways in which they can weave in and out of, of what you're trying to support the students with. Um, the other thing that ChatGPT does and Perplexity does as well is when they have a follow-on conversation, it builds on what came before. So, you know, with the student perhaps using Perplexity, um, they might be able to get started and then they could carry on. Okay, I need these definitions or can you suggest five comprehension questions to help me understand this piece of work? And maybe that then becomes the conversation that they have with each other around the table or the conversation the teacher can have with the student to see if they've understood what was in the text. Um, so those types of prompts and examples, they can be done very quickly now where you know, I would I would always and I would, I would suggest this for any teacher trying to use these tools for the first time, always do it with a topic that you really understand well and a language that you really understand well, if you're trying to work across languages, because then you'll be able to see where the weaknesses are as well. So, I, you know, I will always go into quite hard biology and just to check, OK, where's where's the limit here? Like, what what is it that it can't reach? What What can't it do? Um, or bits of Indonesian and, and just to see like if it's coming out in ways 
that I understand. And then I might check it with my wife as well and say, does this make sense? Or if it's Chinese, I might work with, I have a very good assistant here and she'll say, okay, well, that word's not quite right, but overall it makes sense. And so those types of things um, can really help. Um, there's another tool, which I really love, um, that came out recently called Chat PDF. And in this one, you can, you, you don't need to have an account. You can, if you want to, you can take a, a substantial PDF document and put it in. And it uses the large language model technology, but it focuses on the content of the PDF document. So like a really good example recently we tried was the Oxfam Guide to Inclusive Language it was a new publication. And it had 92 pages, lots of graphics and all that, but lots and lots of text about why do we choose certain terms instead of others? But you can then have a chat with the document. So let's say you, you're nervous to ask a question or you need to know something. You can ask the document the question and the chatbot will tell you why you should use a certain term or not use a certain term. And it will tell you what page to go to. Um, another, it's really powerful stuff, right? Um, another really powerful tool that I think almost everybody already has now is Canva. And they just released all their AI tools as well. So in the toolkit for Canva, you can actually have a slide translated. So like something in the, in the slideshow you can try. You could have a slide that has your target language on it. And then you could use that tool to make a translation for each language in your classroom. And so the kids could have a, you know, a placemat or um, a page that's just for them. And so they would have the two things next to each other so they can go across, right? And so if it's used as part of a translanguaging strategy, it can it can help them think, right? Then maybe you plug that into a thinking routine or, you know, some of our brilliant teachers here at school, we saw some examples of, of how they help students think in their own languages and then present back to English when they come back. Um, so these, these tools already uh, are starting to work, I think. One of the key things is thinking about how, like, what is it you really want to do with or for the learners? And how might that save you time? And there's probably now already something that can help you get going. And I know some of our teachers here are already doing fantastic things with it in, in similar kinds of ways, right? Quickly producing vocab lists or pulling out key ideas from a text and translating those or summarizing, rewording, um, you can ask the tools to explain it at a certain age level too. So you might have a piece, an article or a piece of text, and you could say, explain this to me for an elementary student or a middle, middle school student or a high school student or a degree student or a postdoc. And it will try to do those. These tools will try to do it. I think um, you always have to be careful though about this idea of hallucination in large language models, like it wants to please you. So sometimes it might make things up. So, you know, it's, and I anthropomorphize that that's terrible. I shouldn't do it. It doesn't want to please you. It's trying to meet them, meet the goals that you set it. Um, but you, there's, there's lots of ways to, to sort these things out. Um, I think it's, it's, there's a lot of things there we can check. Like there's there's a lot of cautions to have too, right? Like we need to 
always check like things like the terms and conditions like where's the data going it's i think something that we we're quite careful with too is you don't want to put student personal data into any of these systems because we don't know always where that data goes but when it's neutral things perhaps like a block of text a student has written or you know an article that's being paraphrased or something you're probably okay um, the other one is things like age limits and so on, like ChatGPT we mentioned before is 18 rated. Um, and you can do it, you can have 13 year olds use it with parent permission, but, you know, and I know some people are doing it. And if we had kids, we probably wouldn't stop them doing it if their parents were doing it. But technically, we're not allowed to. So, and I think that's an approach that some schools have taken already. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's plenty uh, in there. I think thinking about the ethics of, of these things too, before we move on to kind of more active outputs and so on, like there is a, there is a human cost to all of this. Um, I think you might, people might've seen in the news not so long ago about keeping it safe and the human cost of tools like chat GPT, where workers in, I think it was Kenya were paid very low wages to make sure that the language models were kept safe. Um, like any any training, we have this this idea in AI called RLHF. So it's like reinforcement learning with human feedback. And the human feedback requires humans, right? So some tools like perplexity, you can upvote and downvote the responses. Essentially, you're you're helping to train it by giving it feedback if it works. Um, but there's always a cost in the background. Right. And there are things that we, we we need to consider too, right? Are we using these things ethically, safely? Um, you know, there's a pretty significant environmental cost in terms of the servers and the energy and the water and all that that it takes to run them too. Um, yeah, but there's 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 that now that we have these, then these tools are basically being plugged in to everything that we use. Microsoft's got them, Canva's got them, and so on. I think it, we can learn to to lean into it and take those steps to demystify it. Yeah. How have you seen students lean into uh, AI models of language models? Meaning, how have you seen so, students use it the most and teachers use use it the most? At the moment, what I can see is more thing more like things that I've described, where people are trying to either use it to get lesson planning ideas or build context. You know, people can use them to get a different perspective on a topic. Um, you can actually use tools like this also to try to identify bias in texts, which is an interesting use case. You know, they can detect bias type language and reword. Um, things like um, uh, Copilot, Education Copilot, it can help suggest lesson sequences um, or as an IB school, you can put in some of that key language. And so I've seen people, you know, use it to help choose approaches to learning skills or create statements of inquiry or think of different types of learning engagements. And maybe they're personalized because you can give it a prompt for different kids around the same topic. Um, so those types of things like personalization is quite powerful. Um, students are interesting. So I had a, I had a course uh, oh, a while back now. Um, a while back in AI terms means just a couple of months ago. But this was like a group of kids who came and they were really interested in it. And there was, you know, you, you'd wonder what they're going to think. And I think if you believe what's happening in the news and the knee-jerk reaction that happened when chat 
GPT came out about cheating and academic integrity and all of that. That's not really where the kids' minds were. So they were actually discussing, they were really curious about the ethics of it. But they were also curious about the technical parts of it. How do they do it? How do they create the images and the image generators? Like, is it how is it being trained? Um, one student tried to build their own system. And so there's a curiosity that comes. Um, I'm interested to see, because this is so new still, I think we're also finding that a lot of kids just aren't using it. And maybe it's because they're nervous about potential consequences or they just don't want it. They don't want to hand over their thoughts to, to a machine, essentially. Um, so this is that how students use it will take some time to really settle down. You know, the, I know that the IB kind of came out saying we won't ban it. And here's how to cite it. And our, you know, our approach was was like that from the beginning anyway. Right. Just just you have to have a culture of integrity. Um, you have to have basically coaching conversations as a teacher and know the students and go from beginning to end understanding the work. But still, we're in a funny time right now as, as different organizations try to work out what their approach will be. Um, I think we find the students a little, some students a little bit reticent to, to jump into it. Although they're already used to using Grammarly and different tools like that, which are you know, similar types of things, but on a smaller scale. So, have yeah. you noticed teachers uh, res um, resistant, or uh, as have they been leaning in as well? So from from early on, so we were we we got into it quite early. So we we started some of this, and I was doing some research on these things before Chat GPT came anyway. So because there were already writing tools that existed before chat gpt right there was different different services you could write so chat gpt is kind of currently in gpt4 mode which means that there's generations before right of different language models and so before that public release different things have been used so we were kind of thinking well if this exists what do we do and in the you know a year ago it was mostly targeted towards SEO, like search engine optimized marketing stuff. And so a lot of stuff we read on the internet is generated by these things or or tinkered with by these things anyway, right? So do you think about the implications for people's jobs when it comes to blogging and, ad, and advert writing? But just the, the pace of acceleration is crazy. So we did some workshops with teachers. We What we're doing is we're curating as well useful tools to try to take away some of the fear, but also to help people. Like, how do we help make things more efficient for them? But, you know, nobody's an expert yet. And we're just exploring, right? Like, even even though we've invested, I've invested and other people at school have invested a lot of time and, and like a lot of experiments and a lot of trial accounts and all kinds of things. Nobody's truly an expert in this. We just have to be open-minded. Yeah. Well, Stephen, I, I consider you an expert based upon the presentations. Mm -hmm. We were we were talking as a department. We're like, wait, he used it this way and he used it that way. Did you see how he did? That? Yeah. So we were we we're very impressed with your expertise. I think it's I think it's just a journey. You know, there's I think one one thing I, I would definitely encourage people to do is is go online and look at, you know, there's lots of people on Twitter and different social media platforms who are sharing what they've got. I can see on things like Facebook too, there's different groups where people are sharing their ideas. And 
I love that that side of the world that we're in where, you know, the, the internet can be a really horrible, challenging place sometimes. But when you when you've curated spaces that are full of sharing, it can be a really joyful place too. And uh so artists and journalists and computer people are all doing those sharing. Yeah. Let's move to the second part of your presentation, which is about uh, structuring active output. So how can AI mm. language models support output? In, in a similar way to anything, that is the prompt that does the work. So the prompt is just the instruction. And as people, one thing that you observe happening quite often is people have a go with a tool and the prompt, maybe it doesn't give them exactly what they want and they they don't like it or they give up or they think, this isn't doing it, but then some people will try to refine the prompt a bit more or give it a bit more guidance. And there's different kind of prompt templates that you can use to get more and more structure to the work. And that's where it really starts to pay off. So you can, for instance, take these, any, any of these tools, they all do it the same. You could um, ask it to say, create five short response questions on this topic or suggest three pro and con debate questions for this topic. And, you know, it's, it's quite easy then to create things like choice boards or personalized approaches to conversations or coaching conversations, or even like with, you know, biology, make me 10 multiple choice questions about this topic using these key terms and identify the correct answers. And it will do that for you, right? And what I found in those types of experiments too is sometimes people do quizzes like that. And maybe some of the wrong answers are kind of comedy wrong answers. Nobody learns from that. In these ones, every time I've tried, the wrong answers have been actually quite hard to find. So when students would get it wrong, you would get, you would learn something from that data too. Like why why is it wrong? What are they discussing? So you, you can try these kind of formative assessment um, approaches really, really easily with this. And I remember as a biology teacher spending many, many hours trying to think of various iterations of ways to support kids, like the recall and things getting ready for exams. And I can imagine now with this tools in place, just you could almost have infinite practice. And there is an infinite practice tool online. I forgot what it's called, but it's something like infinite practice where it will just forever generate practice questions on a topic. You know, um, there's other things where you think about as, you know, if you're working with your kids and you want active outputs in the class, if you can imagine what you want, you could use the prompts to try to create variations of it. So uh, one of the presentations I've got connected to this one is about thinking routines and adapted thinking routines. And so how, how might you use some visible thinking routines with an AI in, in the cycle? Um, and so they're really interesting ones too. You know, it could even be something like AI generated images and having students try to work out what the descriptions might have been given to generate the image or what the story is that's being told or even use the image generator to create a frame or a picture that captures a student's piece of creative writing or journalism or or whatever they're doing so you think about that all that's constantly just language going in and out and in and out um it's uh i think it's pretty pretty exciting applications that are possible with those um 
in uh, things like Copilot too, they have a quiz builder inside. Um, so they can do those. Let me see if I've got any more examples. Hold on. Yeah, the other one's like making connections. So perplexity is an example too, where somebody might have, maybe they're trying to create a pro and con discussion or an advantages and disadvantages, or they're trying to kind of remove bias from the language, or they're trying to think about how does this topic relate to the sustainable development goals, which we talk about a lot at our school. And it can create bullet points and make those connections and send them off into new research too. Um, now, other things that are available, not really for kids yet, but there's, there's one, let me see if I can find it. There's another one where we're starting to get into tools that are available that can actually give feedback on kids on people speaking so the um Udly was one so as an adult you can use it as an english learner and it's free and it will give you feedback on filler language and the way you present and do all of those things um other things we're seeing is quizlet which is an app is currently beta testing GPT-4 as a personalized tutor. So again, if you're over 18 and you're in the US, basically on the app, you can get a personal tutor that will give feedback on the work that's going. Uh, Khan Academy is doing the same thing. So they're all, a lot of these services are heading into that space where your output or your practice gets instant feedback in the mode of a personalized tutor. So. The uh, Duolingo has one too. I forgot what it's called, but you should look that one up too. Yeah. Are, are we going to be replaced by AI then as teachers? Well, I don't think so. What do you think? And what, what's the most important job of a teacher? It's relationships. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with, with, like being more human and putting the human interaction and the contextual things and, you know, making those personal and cultural connections, you know, like being open to what's happening around us. I think, I think maybe there's potential here to, to bring more of the beauty of real teaching into how we invest our time. I hope I'm right. I hope this is the way it goes. No, I just, I feel like if we build the models and we try these things out and show the positive uses that we can do, then we can create more visibility of the right thing to do and ethical and inclusive things, yeah. It's, uh, when I hear of JetGBT, people always use the analogy of um, when a typewriter came out or when the internet came mm. out and people were like, no, this is the end of learning. This is the end of thinking. And yet it hasn't been. It, we, we've learned to use the tool to augment mm. and to reinforce our instruction, not to uh, replace it. Right, yeah, like the, the teacher can become augmented, the student can become augmented, but the, the student-teacher relationship shouldn't go away. And the bits of the job that we do that could be replaced by tech leave space for things that we can do that's more powerful, right? So, you know, I think where you have an approach to learning that is really meaningful and purposeful and joyful and has that inquiry at the heart of it and students are learning a lot and making use of it i think this can only help right i do worry for colleagues in situations where it's very content and exam driven 
and where responses are very standardized. And, you know, it's we're very fortunate here that that's not the way we approach things. But you still, it still exists. And the teacher individually doesn't necessarily have the power to change that. So we, you know, I, I do feel for people who have that, that pressure from ex the external pressure in the way they work with this new external, what they would see as a threat to how they do their jobs. So I think we recognize that too, right? It's uh, I think the more we engage with the tools, we'll learn ways to use mm. it. And so it'll become less fearful. Uh, there's like, there's nothing on the other side of fear. It's just our perception of what it is. And until we play with yeah. it, take the first step, we'll, we'll start to realize how it can become a tool for instruction. Yeah. I think in in um in creating cultures of thinking, there's the force of time. We think about time as being this this valuable resource that we have. And you know, and Richard talks about investing time to make time. And I feel like this is one of those moments where if we invest a little bit, that we can find resources that people have shared and curated across the internet. If we take a, a couple of hours, you know, every every few weeks and just try something out. I think that could compound in terms of saved workload and ideas. Yeah. I think there could be a valuable investment here. So and it's so monetary. Yeah. In terms of money, it's very low cost, which is one of the amazing things about this. Um, I feel like this is a moment too, where even though the big companies have dominated the discourse, there's other agencies too, like Hugging Face, which I have a lot of interest in and love for which have these strong commitments to diversity and inclusion. They have demonstrations of bias and they have kind of spaces where they're trying to champion the work of people in machine learning who are trying to do the right thing to make sure things don't go the wrong way. Um, and they're doing it for free and they're doing it open source. And what I, what I think and I hope will happen is despite what the big companies do, we'll see more opportunities for people around the world at different levels of education to be able to demonstrate what they can do and make use of it. And so you, you can go into things like Hugging Face and see different language models being developed, not in English, you know, different demonstrations happening in different ways that can be more inclusive. Um, and there's the power of AI tools in the preservation of languages, right? And, and those types of things like, you know, a lot of SDG related work can be automated with AI as well. So there's those kind of much more advanced, but real examples of what could be good. Yeah. If we let it be. I like that. What could be good if we let mm -hmm. it be. And you gave really good examples of like translanguaging with, uh, with instruction, having students use uh, something translated into their uh, heritage languages. Yeah. To go back to output, so you're basically saying to support students with active output, you prompt the tool for it to, to provide ideas for students to write about or to, to, to present about. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was a super long, probably not even an answer to the question you asked 10 minutes ago. But yeah, yeah, no, you can, you can, um, you can ask it to do what you want. So often people would have asked for maybe some discussion starters or some comprehension questions or even a speech outline you know or any of those types of things and so you could have 
you know, maybe you've got 30 kids in the class all doing a speech on a certain concept, but individual topics, you know, it could be used to help generate headings or subheadings for each student to get them started and maybe stick that into the middle of a mind map or a set of notes and start to get going with those, you know. And the with very careful prompting, you can even use these tools to give feedback directly on text. So you can put a passage in, as, but it's quite complicated to set up, but it can work. Where, you know, if you ask it to give feedback, just give feedback on this piece of writing, it won't really know what to do. So it will try to do something. But if you give feed, if you give a clear instruction of the role that it will play and what it needs to measure against, and then put the example in, then it will give some bullet points of how to improve. So there's the, those types of outputs are possible too. So it's all about, again, teacher clarity, but I guess it's about prompt clarity. Right. Yeah, it's this, this new literacy, right? Yeah. Well, Stephen, it's been a pleasure hosting you on the podcast, and I've learned so much already. Is there anything that I, uh, we haven't talked about that you want to mention? I think it's one of those things where this is probably one of the biggest changes that's happened in a really long time. And people might naturally feel quite afraid of it, but it's here. And there's nothing that we, we can individually do to not make it be here, right? So the, the, we maybe lean into the affordances that it can give us to be better at what we want to be. Um, and to keep open and keep exploring. Um, I would really kind of urge people to just keep being, keep being explorers, but to think through about the ethics of these things too. Like it's, it's okay to use the tools. Um, there are really good tools that like we've put a lot into the libguides for web that we think are okay. And we've also added whole pages too about um, ethics and safety um, and what we give to parents and what we give to students and so on. So kind of approach it with an open mind, but also consider the other elements of things around ethics, inclusion, safety, sustainability, and so on. I usually end my podcast with asking teachers to give me a red light, yellow light, and green light. It's something to start doing, stop doing, and continue doing. But I think because mm -hmm. this is so new for all of us, why don't we just have you end by saying, what is one thing that teachers can start doing uh, with their multilingual students using AI language models? Like, What's one easy way to start? I would say start looking for examples around you and start thinking about how to make the language accessible to students. And can this tool or can any of these tools take away the burden of the work so that you can spend more time with your kids. And that's yeah. where technology can't replace us. It's about the relationships. It'll never replace us for that, yeah. Well, you've mentioned the word, uh, do you know what word you've mentioned the most in your podcast? No. Joyful. You've mentioned it four times. And it's also in your, uh, in like, uh, your mission statement. So it has been a joy uh, talking with you I, could, I feel like you're already a colleague. I can, I can see myself working with you in the future. Uh, thank you for sharing such a clear, well-constructed presentation that I didn't have to, all I had to do was read the presentation slides and I got it so clearly. Very few times yeah. have I seen 
presentation slides that people share that I didn't, like I needed the actual presenter to be there, but I, I didn't need the presenter to be there. I didn't need you to be there. You wrote it for, t for us so clearly. So thank you so much for giving us thank that you. gift, Stephen. No problem. I mean, I, 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 I think I said before we started, I believe when we're in this, we occupy this very privileged space in international schools, right? And we have the assets, we have the resources to do these things. I've always believed that if somebody's working on something that could be of use, then just share it because it, everybody, everybody can learn from it. Or I mean, maybe it's no use to anybody, but at least it's out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. you should know that there are teachers uh, in Cambodia that are praising and clapping for you for that resource. So thank you yeah. for sharing so generously, Stephen. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. Now onto our recap. There's a lot of negative narrative around generative AI. I think our job is to show students how it can be used in positive ways to help students better understand, to communicate their ideas more effectively, and to translanguage. Just in the same way that we actively teach students to use search engines effectively, we have to teach students how to use generative AI to support their language acquisition. Most importantly, I can see this as a tool that frees us up to spend more time conferencing with students, which is where differentiation can thrive. Please share how you are using generative AI to support your work with MLs. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red yellow or green light from this particular episode. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play traffic light teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow or green light from this particular episode.